Well, 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 good morning, church. Man, what a king we serve. What a king we serve. What a king we serve. King Jesus, our king. And we are his people. We are his church for his glory, empowered by his spirit to do his work in redeeming everything so that all things might be made new. Welcome. We are the church and we have a great king and I am glad to be here. So we, uh, as you know, if you've been part of Mosaic for any period of time, uh, are on a journey through the scriptures, uh, through the Bible, from the beginning to the end. Uh, We started in Genesis 17 or so years ago. We're traveling our way through to Revelation, uh, and we are currently uh, in a a beautiful little letter that we are traveling through. Uh, But on occasion, uh, throughout our year, we pause for a weekend or for a couple of weekends uh, for particular purposes uh, that fit into the rhythm of the year from that journey through the scriptures to just kind of take a Sunday or a couple of Sundays uh, to focus on something particular. Easter is a great example of that. Christmas is a great example of that. And then on occasion, some of the things we pause for are some of the things that we recognize in our story here at Mosaic uh, are important to revisit so that we are reminded of who we are and why we are uh, the church. And so we are taking a weekend, pausing from our journey through the scriptures to spend this Sunday focusing on a particular issue that matters a great deal to us. Uh, This is our global missions weekend where we just pause to remind ourselves of our calling as the church so that we don't forget I lose sleep over the idea that we might forget who we actually are and spend our time doing church for no other reason than doing church. And that is like a nightmare to me, that we might wake up 20, 30 years from now and we've put a great deal of effort into making all of this church thing work and you all happy and me all happy. And we're like, we did such a great job doing church. And we completely forgot why we exist. So we pause on these weekends so that we can turn our eyes back to Jesus in a particular context and say, who are we and why are we? And just remind ourselves. So our global missions weekend is to remind ourselves of who we are and it is to celebrate the extraordinary privilege that God gives us by inviting us to be part of stories we have no business being part of. We get to celebrate that privilege. We don't just sit here to remind ourselves of a calling that we are called to, but we remind ourselves of the privilege it is to be participants in God's redemptive story at all. I've said this many times. I will say it many times in the future. We are like three-year-olds in God's kitchen of redemption. We are not an asset. We are a liability. You are a liability to the work of God. I am a liability to the work of God. And yet he lets me in. What? 
Like he should keep me out and say, I got this. I'll take care of redemption. You're not good at it. And yet he invites me into the kitchen and then wait for it. Not only does he invite me into the kitchen, but he gives me good works to do that he prepared in advance for me to do. And then he empowers me to those good works so that when I do them, I do them by his power, not my own, so that I can actually be a participant that's an asset, not because I'm an asset, but because he is my king. Like that's mind blowing. And we gather up this weekend to be reminded of our calling and to celebrate the privilege it is to be called into this story at all. I will tell you that this reality of engaging in making a difference in our world matters a great deal to us here at Mosaic organizationally. From a leadership perspective and an organizational perspective, this matters a great deal to us. This is a weekend I get very excited about because this is not a side note issue for us. As a matter of fact, if you walk out into our lobby, there's a big giant orange door, probably the brightest thing in our lobby. And on that door, what does it say? Here at Mosaic, we love God, we love people, and we serve the world. We do that because we never want to forget. Look, it's on the back of my shirt. There it is. See, that's what we do. That's what we do. This matters a great deal to us, and it matters so much to us that we don't just talk about it. We act on it. Here at Mosaic, we put a tremendous amount of resources and energy and time into the engagement in the global environment to bring redemption to unredeemed spaces. On uh, This year, as we... Walk into the end of this year, we will, as an organization, us collectively, have invested a million dollars out the door uh, into the global and local environment around us to make a difference. And you may say, uh, a million dollars is a lot of money, no doubt, but uh, I'm sure you guys have a lot of money organizationally to do that. And and I will tell you that that million dollars going out the door uh, comes with great sacrifice to us organizationally. It, It just does. Uh, When we move that million dollars out of the door, uh, it is not without paying a high price. Uh, We here at Mosaic Church, with all the things that God calls us into, we could use some additional staff positions. And we often talk about how on earth we're going to navigate the realities to get some of those staff on board because our resources uh, are limited. And so we can't just do it. A half a million dollars a year to invest in new staffing would make a giant difference around here. And then we'd still be giving a half a million dollars away. But we don't do that. We have discussions here about how to navigate some of the realities of getting the work done that requires resources. And we don't always have the resources available uh, for our staff to do the things that they want to do to be creative in unique ways for us. And what we never do is we never say, how about we tap into that million dollars? I mean, it's right there. We can just give a little less away this year and then we'll have the things we need to make things a little bit easier, a little bit more comfortable, a little bit more doable here. We don't do that because our uh, our heart for the global mission is such that it it causes us, it compels us, it, 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 it draws us to make those decisions at the beginning, not at the end. We don't wait to see what resources we have left over to give. We give them first and then we figure out how to live with what we got left. It matters that much to us. It matters that much to us as a church. And we don't just give away money. 
We invest resources, uh, time, energy, and finances into a staff team here whose focus is global missions and local investment. That is above and beyond all the other stuff we just give away. Why? Because we never want to forget why we're here and what we are to do. That we are a people called of God to be a force in the world for redemption. And so we staff for it, we invest in it, we give to it, and we do it sacrificially because it is a great joy. And our compulsion to this, my personal compulsion to this, comes from two primary things. Perhaps not exclusive, but certainly primary. I will tell you, this is not just an organizational reality for me. It is a personal reality for me. I wake up in the morning compelled by these two things And as I have the privilege here to be in leadership with the other elders, I am compelled to compel you. I am compelled to compel you because the compulsion from where it comes is deep and beautiful. My first compulsion comes from the declaration of the gospel, the declaration of Jesus about who we are and why we exist. Just the fact that God said, this is who you are, this is why you exist. So what did he say? We just came through a series recently, if you were here, called We, We Are the Church. What does that mean? We traveled through that. And as you might remember, if you were here, one of the things that we started out with is that the church is a force that Jesus created to engage in shoving the gates of hell backwards. We talked about that. Jesus, when he was with his disciples, uh, went up onto a a hillside of a Philippi at one point and he was asking them about who people said that he was and and they shared and then Peter said, uh, you are the Christ, the son of God, the Messiah. He, he, He spoke the gospel out, the redemptive work of Jesus out and Jesus said to him, that's it, that's it, Pete, you got it. And then he said this, on that declaration, on that truth, on the gospel, on my redemptive work, on me, On me, Jesus said, I will build my church. He is the cornerstone of this church, of the global church. And then he said this, and the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. You remember that's who we are. Remember that? So we're a bunch of people filled by the spirit of God and he calls us to wherever the gates of hell have ground on this planet wherever there is unredeemed spaces injustices realities that should be changed we put our hands to that darkness and we shove and we don't have any strength to shove but then he quietly behind us just gives a push and everything in the gates of hell moves backwards and we're like and he's like well done well done all I know is I want to make sure my hands are on those gates shoving backwards I don't care if he's the one shoving and I just get the benefit of feeling like I am, but I ain't taking my hands off that. I don't want to live my life busy with things so my hands aren't wherever the gates of hell exist, shoving them backwards. I am compelled by who Jesus said we are. And then, as though that's not enough, Jesus bothered also uh, to basically tell you and I as followers of him and us collectively as followers of him, what it's going to mean to be a follower of Jesus on this planet. He said it. Listen to this. In the book of Luke, it is recorded among other spaces. Uh, In the book of Luke chapter 9, Jesus is talking uh, with his followers, and he foretells of his death 
and his resurrection. So he, re- he tells them, this is what I'm about to do to redeem the story. And he strictly charged them, commanding them to tell no one yet, saying the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. So he tells them what his work is going to be for us. And the very next sentence out of his mouth, verse 23 is, and he said to all, If anyone would come after me, follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save or preserve his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Jesus, coming out of a declaration of how he is going to redeem us, tells us that if we are going to follow him, we are going to be invited into the story of redemption with him. And how often should we take on the burden of others, the the brokenness of others, the sin of others? How often should we take up our cross? Daily. Daily. He didn't say, listen, once in a while, uh, you got a busy life, I get it. Once in a while, you're going to have a moment where there's going to be an opportunity. I just want you to jump on in. And then as soon as it passes, quickly get back to your life. It's like, no, if you're going to follow me, this is how it works from now on. Every day you are surrounded by a world that is yet unredeemed in so many ways. Figure out where it is and do something about it. Take it on. And if you're going to do this, Jesus said, like me who must suffer and must uh, face rejection from everyone and then must die, you too will have to deny yourself, your life, your safety, your security, the things you're building to make your life okay. And we're all doing it. There is wisdom in handling your life in a manner that leads to well-being. But he says, if you try and preserve your safety, your security, your life, your well-being at the cost of serving with me, then you are missing the entire life I have for you. Yes, it is wise to be good stewards of your life and resources, but that starts with a stewardship of engaging with your time, talent, and energy and resources in the stories I have for you. How often? Daily. 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 He said it. I didn't. And then, and then he said, listen, as you deny yourself, this is going to cost you to the point that it will feel like you are losing your life. Your life, your safety, your security, it'll feel like you're losing that. I am compelled by the fact that Jesus said we are a force that he has made to shove the darkness backwards and that he has told us that what that's going to look like and feel like to us is that we are going to have to take who we are, what we have, and we're going to have to relinquish that to his work and trust him to ask what he needs when he needs it and give us what we need when we need it instead of taking the leftovers after we have preserved our life and then seeing if he'd like any of it. It's what he said. And then, as though that's not enough, literally, by his spirit, he gave us clarity on what this engagement is going to look like, where the darkness exists. In the Old Testament, uh, in the book of Micah, the prophet Micah, in Micah 6, 8 said this, uh, after talking about lots of things, he said, you, 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 all, you all know what God, what God desires, right? You, you all know what God wants from you. 
You all, you all understand. It was, it was sort of a, almost a question like, you know this, but I'm going to go ahead and say it just in case you've forgotten, right? He says this, you know, all of you, what God requires of you, what he wants from you. To do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. Here's what he said. What he wants from his church, what he's made his church for, what he's called us to, what he's empowered us to, what he's given us time, energy, and resources for is to participate with him in finding wherever there is injustice, unfairness. It's not fair. It's not right. It's not good. Somebody is suffering because of injustice and where you can do something about it, do it. That's what you should be about. That's what I should be about. And the attitude in which you do it is an attitude of mercy. Not saying, uh, who deserves my investment? Who deserves my engagement? Who does well, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. We're saying, listen, when you see people who are suffering, who are vulnerable, who are in a hard space, engage with whatever you have available to engage in according to scripture and do it with a heart of mercy. We should be a people that are ready to give uh, deserved or undeserved. And then he says, and make sure as you do this, that you're walking humbly with God so that you don't get bent out of shape in buying into preserving a life for yourself or buying into the things the world tells you you should or should not do. Stick close to Jesus, follow him, stay with him. He will be enough for you. James, writing the very first letter to the early New Testament church in a time where that church uh, really didn't have a lot of resource in understanding what it meant to live out this incredible gospel that we have been recipients of and what it means to follow Jesus. James writes this amazing letter that's very instructive. And in the opening part of the letter, in the first few paragraphs, James says this, he kind of summarizes and he says, so you, you, you all know what God considers to be pure religion, a pure expression of what we are recipients of. Religion is our expression of what we have received from God. You know what a pure expression looks like, right? Here's what he said. Care for the widows and the orphans, the vulnerable among you, and don't buy into the philosophies of the world. Don't believe what the world tells you you should be, you should have, you should do. Don't believe it. Believe God. Believe God and then take what God has given you and wherever you are given opportunity, take what God has given you and invest it in the stories of engaging with the vulnerable. It's not complicated. And I am compelled by this call. I'm compelled by this reality. That is the first thing that compels me. It is the first thing that causes me to want to compel you to invest what you have in these stories that God has made for us and called us to. The second thing that compels me is this, that we live in a world that actually has a lot of vulnerability. Isn't it cool that we are not a people that God said, listen, listen, I'm going to make you to shove the gates of hell backwards and move the darkness. I'm going to make you to engage in spaces of injustice with mercy. I'm going to make you to engage with the vulnerable among you. And then when we go out into the world, we'll like come back to Jesus and we're like, listen, we've searched for vulnerable people. I can't find them. We've searched for injustice. It doesn't exist. We've searched for places to deploy mercy and we have found none. 
everywhere we've gone, uh, Africa and Latin America and America and Europe and Asia and Australia and uh, up north into the icy death of anything colder than 70. Anywhere that we've gone, anywhere, we have sought out the vulnerable, sought out injustice, and we live in a world of justice and a world of security. That is not our world. And so God has said, he has given us this privilege of saying, I want you to go do this. And the world in which we live desperately needs Jesus. Desperately needs to experience the hands and feet of Jesus. Desperately needs to know the gospel of Jesus. And so he said to us, look, you live in a very vulnerable world with lots of vulnerable people. They're around every corner and they're everywhere. Go find them and do something about it. Have you guys been watching the news lately? Crazy, crazy. Man, just, just the news right now of what is unfolding again in the Middle East and in uh, the Gaza Strip and in Israel and uh, all of the people in those spaces that were living regular lives just a few weeks ago and now missiles are dropping all over them and regardless of which side they are on, they are now real families with real kids and real spouses and real friends and real things they were doing and now they're wondering if today will be their last because in their town things are dropping and people are dying. Yeah, it's crazy. And we get to see it on the news, but it's, it's real folks. Ethiopia has been in a civil war for the last couple of years. It has wrecked and ravished that nation. It was a nation that was strong and solid, starting to build, and then civil war came about, and everything went awry, and infrastructure was destroyed, and uh, so many people died and the, the Ethiopian uh, money that was already relatively weak became nothing. So the people that were already poor now have nothing. Ethiopia is one of our focus countries and the people in Ethiopia are vulnerable and they are struggling. South Africa. We had a pastor from South Africa and his wife visit last weekend. We actually have a team that we just sent to South Africa this week. They're there now serving in South Africa. And, and the pastor and his wife came and I was talking with them about some of the challenges they face. And they're like, well, you know, one of the challenges that's kind of difficult each day is that our electricity is on for a couple of hours and then our electricity is off for a couple of hours every day. And I'm like, oh, why is that? And he's like, oh, well, there's not enough power in South Africa. So all of South Africa has a revolving system. So imagine, uh, forget a storm coming through and you lose electricity for 34 minutes and you're worried uh, that your refrigerator is going to get a little warmer than it ought. Imagine if every day uh, you got a little note the day before saying tomorrow is seven hours with no electricity. The next day will only be four. How happy are you? How happy are you? Because the next day will be 11 again. That's what they live with every day because there's not enough there. Guatemala, Brooke and I were going to fly out to Guatemala on Tuesday uh, to go and spend some time with pastors and their wives from all over Latin America coming together in Guatemala uh, for a pastors and wives retreat for the Acts 29 pastors of Latin America. There was an election in Guatemala just a, a couple of uh, weeks ago and the election got all squirrely. And you say, oh, I, I understand. I know what that's like. No, you don't. No, you don't, because Guatemala is nothing like America when something goes squirrely. There, when it goes squirrely, the president decides and the government decides, you know what? Uh, lock down Guatemala City. Put b b blockades up everywhere. Let no one go anywhere. We're going to keep them all here. 
You're like, what? Can you imagine leaving at the house this morning? It's a normal day. There was an election last week and you want to come to church and you turn out of your neighborhood and there's a blockade and they're like, you ain't going anywhere. And you're like, for how long? Is there an accident? No, this ain't no accident. Uh, the president's not happy. So we're blocking you all for a couple of months. You're like, what? That's real. That's happening right now. We're not going to Guatemala next week to go and pour into these pastors and their wives because you can't get out of Guatemala City. We live in a world of tremendous vulnerability, exceptional injustice, and a great need for mercy, and a tremendous need for Jesus. And that's just those countries that I just mentioned that happen to be some of our key countries we work in. I could go on, there's so many more. And that's just the big picture. They're like, whoa, there's wars and there's governments and there's things going on. But the truth is this affects real everyday people like you and me. It has real realities. Today, as we stand still today, listen to this, 55 million children do not have homes. They are orphans. They are currently without a family. They are fending for themselves because no one is fending for them. They are vulnerable upon vulnerable upon vulnerable. And there's 55 million of them. Can, can you imagine uh, here in our children's ministry between our two gatherings, uh, we might see between three and 600 children move in and out. And, and there's 55 million that don't have homes in the world that are vulnerable. 44 million family units live in abject poverty in the world. 44 million live in abject poverty. That means they don't have enough resources to, for the basic needs of life every day. Shelter, food, protection. They're not thinking about education and college and funds. and They're just trying to figure out how to feed their kids sometime before the end of the week. And they may not be able to because 44 million family units live in abject poverty. The reality of a vulnerable world is real. And that's just big numbers. When you boil those numbers down, here's what it boils down to. Can you imagine living in a place where there was a war happening actually in your town? And people are shooting missiles back and forth. And we were here at church and we were all super nervous because we don't know when the next missile is going to land in our parking lot. One landed just down the road uh, yesterday afternoon and blew up downtown Winter Garden. So, oh well, there goes the coffee shop. And we're not sure when's it. And then a missile drops into our parking lot and it drops just close enough that we survive in this room, but all of our children in the children's ministry die. You can't say that. Yes, I can, because that's actually happening today in a multitude of places in the world. It's not our life, it's theirs. And God says, I made you church to do something about that injustice. Can you imagine? Can you imagine a world like that? It's hard, isn't it? Because it's not our world. Right now, as we sit in this place, right now, as we sit in this place, there are children in containers on container ships, real deal, being shipped because they are slaves, because they were orphans and vulnerable and they have been exploited. And we get to do something about that. We can't change the whole world, but we can change some of it. You see, do you understand why I'm compelled? 
Do you understand why I burn? Do you understand why I look at us and I look at me and I'm like, God, whatever you've given us, help us to lose our life for your sake and to invest in doing what you've said we were made to do. Shove the gates of hell backwards by investing in the vulnerable and caring for them wherever we have ability and access and awareness to do it and and, and help us to be a people that are ready to follow you wherever. Help us to do that because that's the way I want to live. And are we aware? You guys don't even want to answer. I don't, I don't know if I'm aware. Well, I just made you aware if you weren't. But you also have those little devices. Just scroll. You're aware uh, of the world and its vulnerability. You drive around. You see we are aware. Do we have access We have access. We live in a time where we've got airplanes and things and resources to go and and, and to be in places and to make a difference. We can communicate with people around the globe in a split second via a Zoom. We have access. And do we have ability? Yes. Yes, we have ability. We have life. We have breath. We have energy. We have money. We have ability. We just do. And so when we have awareness and we have access and we have ability, then we are given the privilege to participate. And so that's how we do it here at Mosaic. That's how we function. We function here by doing two primary things to engage as an organization, us collectively, in other words, in the global environment to bring about redemption to unredeemed spaces. The first way we do it is that we send people. We send people. Like, who do you send? People. What people? Who are you? Church. Church, you're the church and you are? People. people. Guess who we send? Us. We send you. He's like, no, you don't. Just buckle on up. <laughs> we send people. We send people. We send people to places around the world. We send them on short trips. We send them on medium trips. We send them on long, long, long trips. Right now, we've got a team of people in South Africa for about 10 days. They are on a short trip to South Africa. They are engaged with one of our global partners there, serving them and helping them serve the people that they serve. And our global partner has talked with us ahead of time about what they need, and we are sending them the people they need and the things they need so that they can more effectively serve the people they're serving. We send people. Sometimes we send people on longer trips for like a whole summer. Go for a whole summer. And sometimes the people that we send, we send them for a year or two or a decade or two or a lifetime. And when we send people, people's lives change. The people we send, but more importantly, the people they go for. Because what changes lives is not money, it's people. Money helps us get people where they need to be and keep people where they need to be and meet the needs of the people we're serving. But it's people that God indwells in. People that is God's body, the church. And it is people who carry Jesus to people. And so we send people. There was a young lady in our midst um, who was in high school a couple of years ago. When I say a couple of years ago, I mean like a fair amount of them, like a decade plus, right? (laughs) Um, and uh, she was here at Mosaic and uh, she went on a missions trip with her school. She was at Foundation Academy and it sort of stirred in a little bit like, huh, huh. And then she was here just after that missions trip and our student ministries department and Joel were like, you should go on a missions trip with us. And she was like, yeah. 
And so she went on that and that stirred some things and then that stirred some things. And then before you knew it, her story has literally transformed hundreds and hundreds of children in crisis and four in profound ways and two in doubly profound ways. Her life has changed, but she has been a participant in changing lives. And if you are here and part of Mosaic and you give of your resources here, then you are a participant in this story and stories like it. Take a listen to what happens when we send people and people say yes and go. Um, I would say that my heart for missions originally started when I was in high school. I went to Foundation Academy, and at the time, Foundation was serving alongside new missions. Um, and my first ever mission trip was to Haiti. And so as my heart started to develop for missions, I remember I ran into Joel Kaufman at the lobby and he was like, hey, we're going on a mission trip to the Dominican Republic. We would love for you to join and uh, let me know, please, because we don't have a lot of spaces. And I remember, I think I was like 16 at the time and asking my mom and she was like, I think you should go. I think that would be awesome. And I remember going to the Dominican Republic and thinking it would be similar to Haiti because um, they are right next to each other but I really think at the time that's when my heart for missions really just started to develop um, and that's also how we met he was the translator for <laughs> our group and um, I think that looking back on all of the years that was really when the Lord started to guide my steps and determine that I was having a heart for missions. Yeah, I, I remember I was uh, translating for the church in the Dominican Republic and I was working every summer. I was a volunteer for the church and I remember living about five, four blocks from the church and I would spend two months without even going home with that many mission teams that we would have at the church. And when Sophia came, I remember Joe and Gabe and Brittany, they look way younger back then. <laughs> and I, I've known them since that mission trip. And it's just been great to see like the mission fair. And that's how I started <clears throat> falling in love with the mission fair of mission teams and working with mission teams and going to different places and help and see the other side of people. And we started dating right after I came back and I was like, you know what, I um, really just need to figure out what God has for me. And I met with Gabe and I was like, hey, uh, I really still want to do missions. And so I was doing the global missions internship and Gabe was like, well, there's a couple in Honduras that said that they really needed someone to stay at the ministry and at their house for the summer. Would you be interested? And I was like, absolutely. And so the move, I feel like it happened so fast because after that summer of serving in Honduras, I remember just God speaking so clearly to me of meet with the directors and ask them what it would look like if you moved back. And so I remember my 19-year-old self meeting with the directors, and it just sounds so crazy still to like talk about it, 
but and I was like, what do you guys need? Um, do you have any positions open for a long-term volunteer? And they were like, well, we've been wanting to start something called a crisis care program. And I'm like, well, what's that? And they were like, it's for street children. Um, and it's basically a program that Child Services is wanting to create. And we would be opening the first one in the region of Copan. Copan is where we live. And I was like, well, I love street kids. And that sounds like an awesome opportunity. So I was like, yes, let's do it. And I remember coming back to Mosaic and telling Gabe, like, hey, I'm going to move to Hunters. And I mean, okay. And just the way that God moved within that time, I remember coming to Mosaic and fundraising um, after that summer and just receiving so many financial blessings that I was able to help Legacy of Hope support to open up the whole program. Um, and I think that God just opens himself up so much when you say yes. And that just wraps completely around you. And it has just been so touching to be able to surge in the way that we have. Yeah, I remember in those times that I went to visit you, one of those trips I came to Honduras I went to Honduras and she was caring for those four little girls two babies and two sisters five and two and I was like I didn't know that when I say yes to Sophia that I'm going to start dating her I didn't know that four girls and a dog were coming were coming in the in the in the answer and I was Working in the Dominican Republic, I had a job there, and I remember deciding if I wanted to go and move to Honduras. So the girls, the other two foster girls that I had, ended up transitioning back to their biological dad, and it kind of got to the point with our relationship where we realized that the girls were two at the time and we had had some pretty deep conversation of we needed to be living in the same place to see if we wanted to pursue marriage and I remember vividly telling him I could not leave the girls. And I was living next door uh, in the ministry and we had discussion of like do we want to adopt the girls? And that was that was a lot for me, just to take in. I'm not even married, and now I'm going to. <laughs> I need to think about two things: getting I, I, it should be step by step, marry and then adopt. But the Honduran government they require that you need to be at least three years of marriage and five years resident. And back in that time, we didn't even meet any of these requirements. I didn't even meet the age requirement. Yeah, we, yeah, that's true, because you were under. Five, and I was mm -hmm. 23 or 24. And we needed to make a decision. And I, we talked and we discussed what we wanted to do with our life, and we knew that we wanted to be with each other for the rest of our life. So we, we had a small reunion with friends and family. We got married, we did everything that we needed to do and we just kept praying. And um, our lawyer, I, I remember her calling us specifically and saying, I just got out of a meeting with the legal department of child services and they are going to take your file. And 
I think I sobbed for like <laughs> an uncontrollable amount of time. And from that point on, our file just continued to progress. And child services matched us officially with the girls in January of this year. And that was after pausing our file, approving our file, not approving our file. I mean, it has just been such a journey of up and downs. Yeah, so as now, our adoption is in the finish line. Thank God. After six, seven years, we pray about it. We lots of prayers because we were on different pages. We didn't know if we wanted to continue living in Honduras and doing ministry or we wanted just to take a break and go somewhere else. And after praying, and we decided and we had a peace about it. We decided to come to the United States and live in the States now with our family. And we are in the transition plans of passing Sophia's position in the ministry to a Hondurans and same with me. So, so um, we don't know when that's going to be. There's not a specific timeline. It's looking like it's going to be within the next three to six months, but um, we are just trusting God in this crazy process of moving and transition and timing, and I think if there's one thing we've learned, it's that God's timing is always perfect, and I am such a planner. It's so hard for me to step into things and not have a timeline, but we're just trusting in Him and His timing, and we're so thankful that I have worked really hard to spend the past year raising up local Honduran women who I know will be able to be more effective than I have ever ever been in their own community with their language and just being able to empower these women to take over my position and, and what I'm doing and just be able to pass the baton to them and know that they are going to be able to care for their children and their country of origin. It's just, it's so bittersweet because I love what I do, um, but I'm excited for this next chapter life and I'm so excited that these women are going to be able to take over this program that I've been able to walk alongside Legacy of Hope and start and build. It's kind of, I feel like it's kind of like my baby. <laughs> so I'm so glad that um, we're going to be able to keep that relationship with Legacy of Hope and go back and see them and I think we're both excited for the new doors that God's going to open. So because um, Sophia said yes, because we send people, and because she said yes, she ended up in this incredible story. Uh, the story expanded. She got to be a significant part of starting this crisis care center that has cared for hundreds and hundreds of children that if I told you their stories, you would not believe me. They are so horrific. And those children, instead of being on the street and vulnerable and exploited, they are loved and cared for and safe. Not all the orphans in the world, but a bunch of them now, because Sophia said yes. And then because she said yes, uh, she fostered four, uh, two reconciled to dad after having the opportunity to grow and learn and dad grow and learn, and two who will now become her and Nino's forever children. Uh, they will belong to them forever and the children We'll have a mom and dad forever. And uh, Nino said yes to a lot of things too. <laughs> he said it well, didn't he? It's not supposed to be like this. Welcome to a broken world. 
much is not supposed to be like it is, but we are a people empowered by the Spirit to say yes, even when it's not the way it's supposed to be. And we engaged, and they said yes. And because they did, those two girls will come home now to them and then home here. And they will grow up here in this space experiencing the gospel. That South African trip that's happening this week, one of my daughters is on that trip who also came from another place and joined our family. I don't know what those two girls are going to grow up doing, but I bet they're going to change the world. And as they say yes and they go, I can't even begin to measure the ripple effects that begin to happen because we sent someone and someone who was being sent said yes. The world is changing. Yes, absolutely. And so... Uh, we, I told you we do two things. The first one is we do what? Yeah, it's like two of you. Send. Send. We what? Send. And who do we send? People. 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 That's right. We send people. I love Jesus. We send them. And then we support. We send and we support. We support the people we send. And we find other people who are doing amazing things and we support them. Because there's a lot of places in the world that we don't need to send somebody long term because there's already somebody there doing it better than we can. And when we find those kinds of partners who already said yes at some point and are doing it, we get behind them and we support them. We send and we support. That's what we do as a church. That million dollars I told you about, what do you think that goes to? Support and send. Support and send. That's right. And so we send and we support. And as we support them, you get stories then that don't just have the opportunity for a quick send, but have the opportunity to be sustainable like these two. And as that unfolds, you get a life-changing reality occur. We send and we support. And then, uh, I hope this is a no-brainer. It's not like the third thing we do, because we should be doing this all the time. But I'm going to make it uh, sort of an obvious while we send and support we pray we pray because when we pray we are asking God to do what we cannot do asking God to intervene in ways we cannot intervene asking God to show up for people in ways we cannot show up for people ask God to be with our global partners and to be with the people they serve ask God to be with the people we send and ask God to be with the people we support we we send we support And we pray. That's what we do. That's how we meet the needs of the globe, how we bring justice where there is injustice, how we bring mercy where there is mercy needed, how we bring Jesus to people by sending people, supporting them as we send them, supporting partners on the ground and praying for them. That's what we do. So the question is, uh, what should I do? What should you do? What is your part? What is mine? Hmm. Well, the first thing is this. Since we are a church that send people, what will we need you to be? A people that go. go. One person said it. We'll try that again. A people that go. go. And that's the first point of prayer that I would encourage you to pray about. I want you to pray, not if you should go, but when you should go and where. Well, hold on, hold on. I don't know if... I want you to pray about when you should go and where. I would love for everyone in this room over the next decade, if you call this church home, to be able to say in a decade, I was sent and I went. I said yes, just for a week or a month or a year or a decade or two. That's all we're asking. (laughs) Some of you will go for a week. Some 
will go for a month or two or three. Some will go for a year or two or three and some will go for a decade or two or three and some will go for a lifetime. A lifetime isn't all of our story, but going should be all of our story at some point somewhere. So I would ask you, pray, where is it and when is it that you should go? And let's start talking about that. We go lots of places locally and globally. You should go with us. Second, uh, you should support, you should give. I will tell you unapologetically, I will tell you if you are part of this church and you are part of this story and you have not yet given to this story in some way, in some regularity, start. Like what? Start giving. Give a dollar, give 10, give 50, give 100. I don't care where you start, start. Start giving and start giving regularly. Why would you say that? Because we are participants in changing the world. And when you are giving here, you are a participant in these stories. Imagine if we had 50 people like Sophia and Mina doing things all around the world. Imagine if we had 50. Guess what? We do. We have 50 partners just like them that we support all the time. 50 stories just like this going on as we speak. And when you are here and you give, you're part of that. So if you're here and you call this church home and you don't give of your resources here, start. Start somewhere, start now. And if you are here and you already give, thank you for giving, give more. (laughs) What? Thank you for giving, give more. Why would I give more? Because we will be a people that have a thousand things every day to give our money to that we need. But God is inviting us to give our money to stories like you just watched and to be participants in changing things for generations. When I leave this planet and I end up in eternity, I don't want to be standing there measuring how many cups of coffee at Starbucks for $10 I could have avoided and how many incredible generational ripple stories I could have been a part of. If you are here, ask yourself, what is it I need to do without in order to be a part of doing with? You are not giving so that you can give money. You're giving to get something, to be a participant in stories that are literally mind-blowing. And all you have to do is figure out what you need to do without to do that. So I'm unapologetically telling you, if you are here and you call this church home, give. Give, start giving, give more. And you could give directly to partners as well. We encourage that. We love that you might be involved, not only in giving collectively here, so we together can do this, but that you might be stirred by a child that you need to sponsor, a partner you need to get involved with, and you might take a portion of your resources and give it directly to them. We don't need it here. Give it to them. Start looking at all these partners and looking at all these opportunities and ask God, God, are you asking me to give to a partner directly or to a work around the world directly? You're welcome to do that. We encourage it. Just be a part of these stories with the resources you've been given and be a part of these stories with the time you have go. And then finally, we want you to pray. And which of these do we want you to do? The go, the give, or the pray? All of them. See, you've always lived in that world. Pick one, and then we all pray. but I want you to do all of them. 
It's not pecking. It's doing all of them. When and where, that's all it is. When, where, and how much time, how much resource. And I'm going to pray all the time. How often should you pray? All the time. And then you should give and you should go. So we're going to start here um, by the go. Uh, Next week, I want all of you to pack your bags, sell your houses, and we're all going to move somewhere in the world. Pick a country and we'll uh, we'll start. No, (laughs) that's going to be a a big ask. That'll come in time. But what what we can do is we can right here, right now, start by praying. It's not where we end. It's where we start. We start by praying. And we're going to pray for our global partners together. We're going to pray for our global partners together. We're going to pray first for them. And then a question will come up on the screen. And I want you to pray when that question comes up that God would answer that question for you. And then dare to let him answer it and dare to say yes. Because when you say yes to God, he is the safest person to say yes to, even though he asks you dangerous things. Because when you lose your life for his sake, you find it. Before we pray for our global partners, we have the privilege of having one of those global partners with us. You just got to hear their story. So to start our time of prayer, I'm going to ask Sophia and Nino to come on up here. And we are going to get to pray first for them as we prepare ourselves to pray for the global partners after we have prayed for them. Uh, on the screen behind me will come up the list of our 50 global partners. And you get to pick one, two, three of them, I don't care, and spend a couple of minutes after we've prayed for these two to pray for one of the global partners. And then the question will pop up and you're going to ask God to answer it for you today, tomorrow, next week, but ask God to answer it. But for now, we start by praying for these two together. I will pray over them on your behalf, but you will pray with me and you will pray for them because we're going to pray for them together. So you two, thank you for saying yes, both of you, to this insanity. Thank you, thank you. And we are thrilled that part of your yes is to hand the baton over as it should be and to come home for whatever season God may have for decades or for days, right? Uh, Because I know not not days. I'm not going to do that. No. Um, But I know that you guys started with yeses and you are committed to yeses the rest of your life. And so wherever God has you, we're excited. But we're thrilled that it's going to be here for a season. And we cannot wait for you guys to be back. How can we be praying for you guys as we pray for you as a church? I was getting so emotional and choked up watching the video and we're just so thankful for Mosaic Church. We were here a couple years ago uh, fundraising for our car. I don't know if anyone remembers that. Our car was on the screen and we could have not done that without you guys. This adoption process we could have not done without you and we are just so thankful for Mosaic and everything that you have given us included in your prayer and last month we were able to submit our adoption file to the Supreme Court of Honduras. Mm. And we are expecting our adoption process to be finished within three to six months. So if you could just join us in prayer over paperwork and the judge and as he reviews our file, that would just be great. As you hear, when I say yes, I didn't just say yes to her. I also say yes to you guys because I'm here. I'm Mosaic. And as you saw in the pictures with Gabe and Joe, that they look way younger back then. That was about 10 years ago. And I heard about Mosaic even before I came to the United States. I was already helping in the Dominican Republic. And just to be here and sharing the same gospel 
to be part of Mosaic, that is a gift. And we are excited to be here. And one of my dreams, we all have dreams, but this one is special. This dream, I dream about the day in the next three, four, or five months when I bring Andrea and Sela, our two foster daughters, now our daughters, when I bring them here and we can present it to you and just, you can hear from them, thank you. So thank you Mosaic for everything you guys done. It is gonna be a day when those two girls show up here. And we know the seven, eight years of journey it's been to get to that day. Pray with me for these two and for those two girls that that day would come sooner than later. And then when it comes, let us see what our great king does with someone's yes and how much he changes when we're willing to say yes. Would you join me in prayer as I pray for these two? And then uh, after we go off, pick a name on that screen, pray for them, and then pray for God to answer that question for you. God, thank you so much for these two, uh, for their uh, yeses at such different times in such different ways in such different places in both of their journey that now culminate here in this place where we pray for you to expedite the paperwork and to keep the paperwork uh, in your beautiful, powerful hands so that it can finish so that these two girls will know that for the rest of their lives they will have a family that will never leave them that they will belong to these two as their parents and these two will belong to them as their parents. We ask now for the day to come quickly that these two can look at those two girls and say, you are on paper officially by the government ours forever. God, I know they already are, but God, we live on a strange planet and we need that paperwork to say it. So make it so. And then uh, God, help these two have the wisdom and clarity they need and the energy to pass the baton over to those uh, that live locally uh, in that town so that they can continue the great work of this crisis care center and love hundreds and hundreds more children yet to come as the ones who have already come have been loved. And then bring these two home with their daughters so that we might see them here and celebrate with them the great work that God, you have done in them and through them these last 10 years and the great work you have prepared in advance for them to do over the next 10, whether here or anywhere. God, may you show them as they come here what you've prepared in advance for them to do here. And may they find not just rest and refreshment here, uh, but a joy in the work you've called them into to participate with you as always in the gospel, shoving the gates of hell backwards. Bless them and keep them. Make your face shine on them. Be gracious to them. Fill them with your countenance and give them peace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Pray now for someone on that screen or several people on that screen and then ask God to answer the question you see pop up after that.